Good morning. It's an honor to be here with you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8 this morning of Revelation 21. I do ask, as often as the Lord brings it to mind, that you would pray for Cedarville University and all Christian universities across the country. We don't want to just exist. We want to make sure that we are training students with excellence to stand firm for the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. We believe the Bible from the very beginning to the very end is God's Word, His revelation to us. We believe every syllable of it. We believe that Jesus died on a cross, went to a grave, got up out of the grave, ascended to heaven, and is coming back again. And that is a gospel message that every person on this planet needs to hear. And we want to make sure we stand firm, and we want to see revival. We want to see a generation committed and sold out to loving Christ and loving others. So as often as it comes to mind, would you just pray that we would be faithful and that God would bless in that task? Revelation chapter 21. Our main idea, the big idea of the text is found right there in verse 5. It says, Behold, I will make all things new. I am, in fact, making all things new. That's the big idea. We're going to unpack that idea with four different points this morning. But as I do this, I want to make sure that you understand that the Bible is not just a book that tells you how you individually can repent of your sins, put your faith in Christ, be justified, be adopted into the family of God, be united with Christ. It does that, and it does that quite well, but that's not the only purpose of the Bible. The Bible is a story about Jesus, about God. It's God's story. It's God's revelation to us. He tells us in Genesis how he created the world. He tells us how sin came about and how Adam and Eve rebelled and why that's why we have evil in the world. That's why my heart is so quick to flee away from the God I, will, I love, so prone to wonder. He tells us through the Old Testament, pointing forward to a Savior that's to come through the sacrificial system. He brings that Savior in the form of a virgin birth so that he could live a perfect life, die on the cross, provide that reconnection for us to our Creator through his atonement, allows us then to be redeemed. But he tells us in the end that he's not just redeeming each one of us individually. He's redeeming all things. He's going to set all things right. He is making and will make all things new. The Bible is God's story. It's a story of Jesus Christ being the ultimate hero. It's a story of a garden that ends with a city. It's the story of redemption and restoration. And this morning I want us to look at this in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. Let me read the text to you. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Our first point for this morning comes from verses 1 and 2. It is that God will renew the heaven and earth. God will renew the heaven and the earth. He says in verse 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. It tells us that the sea is no more. Now, remember where John is exiled on the island of Patmos. That sea is that raging sea that separates him from those that he loves. They didn't always have the big cruise ships that we have now, the satellites that we have now. When you think about the sea, even when you're out on it in a smaller boat and those waves begin to grow heavy and high and it begins to be dangerous, the sea can be a very dangerous place. It's a place that we can't conquer. We can't just survive out in the sea without a boat or without something else. It's a place that scares us. And so in this context, he's saying that the sea will be no more. The wild, dangerous depths of the unknown, the tempest, will be no more. It doesn't mean there will be no water because we hear about the river of water that will run from the throne of God. But it says there will be no more sea. It says that there will be a new city that is prepared. A new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Now, I'm just a country boy. So when I hear things about cities, I think traffic. And when I think traffic, I think, I don't want to go there. I would much rather be caught behind a John Deere tractor on a country road looking out at fields than stuck in traffic of four lanes of cars, bumper to bumper with brake lights. My blood pressure goes up when I see brake lights. Anybody out there testify? Can you relate to that? All right. You can probably relate to it better than I can because I live in Cedarville, Ohio, population 3,000. So here I see city. Well, let's put our mind back into their time, back into what's being communicated to the audience that was reading this when it was first written. And that is that a city provides safety. A city provides comforts. A city provides all of the amenities that now we perhaps even have still in the country. But then the city, this would have provided a host of assurances. And it would have been a great thing, an exciting thing, that a city would have been prepared for us. And it says to us that that holy city was coming down out of heaven. And God had prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now this is wedding season. I had a wedding I went to yesterday. I've got another wedding I'll be going to this coming Friday. And when you go to a wedding, you know what weddings look like, right? You go to the wedding, and the bride is all made up. The bride has on that perfect dress that costs way too much money that she picked out just for this one event. Probably never wear this dress for anything else the rest of her life. But this is the, this is the dress. It's picked out. All of the flowers are arranged perfectly. All of the bridesmaids and groups, everything is just adorned to make this the absolutely perfect day. And that's the description of this city that's coming down. It's coming down, and it is adorned as a bride would be adorned, going through all of these details. I mean, you you take months of preparation to get to this one day, right? You probably go on a diet before you get to this one day. You make sure your makeup is exactly right. You fix your hair. Often people even have their hair fixed ahead of time to make sure they know what it's going to look like so they can have it fixed again that day and be confident that it looks just right because those pictures and that moment is going to be framed forever, at least for this lifetime. And so adorned in a perfect fashion 
And that's the imagery here that is given. It is put in order. It is decorated. It is adorned. And this word adorned is the word from which we get our word cosmos. He created things out of nothing. It's not chaos, but it is in being created and ordered. It's the word we get for cosmetics. So that makeup kind of works there as we talk about that analogy. This city is adorned. It's a heavenly city. It's made to look beautiful, and it comes down. You remember Eden? That glorious garden that God created for mankind, the sinful rebellion that mankind, Adam and Eve, had against that traitorous act defying God who had created them. The result of that sinful rebellion is that we live in a place where we work and even the beautiful flowers that we have have thorns. The weeds constantly grow up and creep in. The weeds multiply so easy, but the good things multiply so hard. It takes work and effort. All of these things will be made new. The weeds, the thorns, the difficulties that grow. You look out at our world and you see all of the tragedies of earthquakes, Severe storms, the tornadoes that come through. And at the same time, you see droughts in one part of the world, like India. And yet, you have floods here in the Midwest where crops can't even be planted in some places. Cyclones and hurricanes, all of these things. And we look out sometimes, and in our minds, we think on occasion, how in the world can a good God let all of these bad things happen? Why is it that all of these things are taking place? But the Bible gives us that grand narrative that these things happen because we are are fallen people living in a fallen world. But it was not intended to be that way. And the good news this morning is that God is making all things new and that there will be a day where we'll all be set right. There's going to be a day where I don't have to worry about mosquito bites on the back of my neck. There's going to be a day where I don't have to worry about poison ivy and poison oak and breaking out. And There's going to be a day where we don't wake up one morning or at 2 a.m. in the night with tornado warnings of vast tornadoes coming through to destroy hard-working people's homes. God's going to make it all new. So when you look out and you see the devastation, it makes us sorrowful for what's happening, but there's also a joy and a longing that should come for what's next. And we know that in this world we are pilgrims passing through. This is not our home. This is not our eternal destination. But this is just a journey that we're on and the destination that we're going to. There's a new heaven. There's a new earth. It's going to all be made right. And these devastating effects of sin will not be there anymore. It's not just that he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. Point number two is that God will renew our relationship with him. Look at verses three and the first part of verse four here. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now, think about John writing all of this down. I heard a loud voice. Things got loud all of a sudden. Why do you get loud? You get loud to get your attention. I heard a loud voice from the throne, and it said, Behold, Take note. Pay attention. It's like the teacher in class saying, underline this, star this. Give me your attention. Make your eyes look up here at me. Behold, in a loud voice, it's mom and dad looking at that son or that daughter who's not paying attention and saying the middle name in the voice to make sure that you get the complete understanding that this is important. The tone changes. The body language changes. My dad was really good at it. When he repeated my full name and he repeated it in that stern voice, 
Whatever it was I was doing stopped. And I listened. And the writer is saying to us this morning, stop, listen, look at what the words are saying to us. And it's saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Dwelling. He will dwell. What does the word dwelling mean? The word dwelling is actually skene in the Greek. It carries with it the sense of a tent or a tabernacle. Now that tabernacle and that tent harkens us back to Old Testament language, foreshadowing what's going to happen. But that dwelling now we understand the Holy Spirit dwells in us that we now inside of us is the Holy of Holies where God would dwell. And he's saying that in the future, God's going to dwell with us as a tabernacle or as a tent, as he did back in the garden when he walked with Adam. God is going to be there dwelling with his people. If you ever go camping and you have a tent, a tent is a place where you dwell together. You literally dwell in tight quarters together. And this is what he's saying. Anyone who has children, especially if you have curious children like my children, you've had to answer the question, Where is God? We know the answer from the catechism. God is everywhere. He has no body like we do. But then there's the follow-up question. If God is everywhere, why can't I see him? And we sit there thinking we know the answers to everything, and inside we think, huh, how am I going to answer this question? We know that God's a spirit. He has no body like we do. But that doesn't stop us from having a desire to see God, to see something with our eyes that would help our faith, to dwell with God in such a way that we know. Because we're skeptical people, our hearts are doubtful, we want to see evidence. We like to be able to touch things and feel things and see things. And to by faith trust that God is there calls into question sometimes our skepticism of our own earthly minds. And here, even as we may not give good answers to our children, even though we try, we understand that one day the text tells us that God will dwell with us. Now, there's some cautions for us there. If you don't appreciate, enjoy, or understand how to dwell with your God in this life, you might be really uncomfortable in heaven. You might be really uncomfortable if you can't read your Bible, pray to your God, sing to your God, enjoy the fellowship of God's people, that God himself is going to be there. I mean, you think about it. It's just when you've done something wrong or you've said something bad about somebody and you've been talking about them and all of a sudden that person shows up and then you get that really uncomfortable feeling. Uh Uh-oh, they're here. I'm in trouble now. I would just encourage you, part of what our life is about is to learn to have fellowship with our Creator, to learn what His Word says to us, what He's revealed to us, to learn to give Him praise and thankfulness and return that thanks through our singing, to enjoy the fellowship of God's people, to enjoy talking to our Heavenly Father as we do our best friend, to learn so that one day when He dwells with us, it will be an incredible, joyful dwelling. There will be no more separation. Some of you have experienced it. Some of you may not. Some of you may not be willing to admit you have experienced it. That separation that we feel and that we sense when sin and distractions and the cares of this world get in the way of my relationship with my Savior. 
And then there are those moments of worship. Those moments where God's presence is there in an unusual way. And perhaps you're singing a song that all of a sudden the words relate to your heart in such a way that the cares of this world just fade aside. And that it's almost as if you can feel the very presence of God even though he's not there to see. You can feel the presence. And perhaps this is when we sing our loudest, when we close our eyes, when we raise our hands, when we imagine that we are just giving praise to God Almighty. And in my experience, it's when there's a tingling perhaps down the back of my neck or there's an excitement and an emotion of you just feel the presence of God and you long for that presence to continue. But that presence doesn't last because the cares of this world, the sinfulness of my heart, all of the things going on cause us to drift away from that beautiful moment. And this text tells us that there will be a day where God will dwell with us and those moments will be never-ending moments of relationship with our Creator. If you see God this morning as a cosmic killjoy, you know, that, that, that God that just puts down all these rules, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't have any fun, do this, do this, do this, do this, just work all the time. If that's how you see God, you have a really bad understanding of God. God is not the legalistic cosmic killjoy. God is the one who knows us the best and who seeks for us to prosper and understands how it is that we could best prosper. So God in his understanding tells us what we need to do for our prosperity, for his good, for his glory, for our own good. And this is what's going to happen one day when we are with God, that we're going to understand all of the good and all of the bad. God, who is the one who defines love, who is truth. Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, who tells us what we need. The devil, who is the father of lies, the deceptive one, the one that seeks to devour, to kill, and destroy. Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to follow? Are you going to look at the worldly temptations and deceptions? Are you going to look Look at God who is the ultimate truth. And one day we'll be able to dwell with him. It goes beyond that. God will also renew us physically and spiritually. Look at what it says in the second half of verse 4. It says he's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, listen to me again, lock eyes with me again. I am making all things new. And then he said, Write this down. It's almost as if in this glimpse of what was to happen, John had become distracted, and the instrument that he was using all of a sudden lifts off the page as his eyes lock upward, and he begins to think about what he's seeing. And all of a sudden, the one revealing this to John has to say, write this down. This is the teacher saying, take notes. Quit being distracted. Write it down. For these words are trustworthy and true, And he said to me, what did he say? He said, it is done. It's already accomplished. It was finished on the cross. It is done. He's the Alpha and the Omega. It's the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, he will give from the springs of water of life without payment. So I decided to do a scientific study on what we were most looking forward to being renewed physically and spiritually. So I went on this scientific tool called Facebook put out this really scientific question to a bunch of people that happened to look at Facebook. And I said to them, what is it that you're most looking forward to being made new? Now, there were some of them that were really serious. 
And it's Facebook. So obviously there are some people just on there to have a good time and make fun. And so, so they're all over the map. But let me give you a few of these things that we're looking forward. Some of these things may not happen too, by the way. I'm just saying these were, this was the survey. The, the one that was the funniest, I think, was probably bacon that doesn't make you fat. I can't. I can go for that. I mean, I'm not. I'm not opposed to it. Some of the more serious, serious ones. You, you could put it under spiritually restored. I resonate with this one. Our sin nature that we inherited from Adam and Eve, that flesh that Paul talks about, that causes my heart to be prone to wonder, will be no more. Can you imagine a day when following Jesus and following God, waking up every morning, walking in wisdom, filled with the Spirit, is easy? Can you imagine a day when it wakes up and it's not like we're trying to run up the down escalator, but instead we're actually on the escalator taking us in the direction we want to go. Waking up every morning not focused on my selfish, sinful desires of me being the center of my universe, but waking up every morning knowing that God is the center of the universe. Being able to worship completely in spirit and in truth. Being physically restored. No more disabilities. No more blindness, no more pain in your feet, no more diabetes, no more physical pain. The older we get, the older I get, the more I feel things I didn't used to feel. You do the same things you used to do 20 years ago, but you feel it three days longer. And you don't do it nearly as fast or nearly as well. Some of you are smiling because you understand exactly what I'm talking about. This old tent that I live in is starting to get some rips in it. It's getting old. It's a little tattered. It's worn. Some of you can relate. We're going to get new tents. We're going to have new bodies. We are going to be restored physically. No more mental illness. No more Alzheimer's. My mother-in-law right now is dealing with that issue, and we deal with her. She's living with us, and so we'll answer the same question over and over and over again. From a woman who was once so sharp. To ask the same question repeatedly, and we see the devastating nature of what that looks like. And many of you have experienced it as well. It will be no more. Don't you long for the day where that will not happen? Relationships will be restored. Lost loved ones that have gone on to heaven before us, we will be reunited with them. Perfect relationships with other people that we have broken relationships with. True, lasting peace. No bullies, no crude jokes, no one making fun of you, no one making fun of your children, no one making fun of any of us. It won't happen anymore. Relationships the way they were intended. New opportunities, being able to learn, to explore, to create to do metal work or write fiction, or as one person said, to be able to play video games as often as I want. Maybe create better video games. Who knows? Cultivate a new world. Create new technology the way it should be. And then there were a couple of other funny ones. Having a six-pack of abs. Don't know that that's going to be there. Finding out who killed JFK and all the other unsolved mysteries. I really don't know that we're going to care when we get to heaven, but somebody's looking forward to that. You know, to bring to mind some of the seriousness for those of you that may not be encountering seriousness in your own life, I had this one mom who has a son that's autistic. She sent me this. This is a description of her life right now. What is she looking forward to? Sleep. From the time her son was a year old until he was four, he slept in their bed. Why? Because they got tired of being awake and not sleeping at night. 
During those years and many, and I'm quoting her here, during those years and many to follow, at least three to four nights a week, he would be awake for two to three hours in the middle of the night, two to five, three to five, four to seven. He would not only be awake, but be yelling and bouncing off the walls. We could keep him more contained with us and at least sleep on and off. Sleeping in our bed had to end, so we tried him in his bed again. Then one of us would have to lay with him for an hour to an hour and a half to help get him to sleep. This entailed holding him still, singing, falling asleep ourselves, etc. We got tired of not sleeping through the night, so often we would just let him be in his room. Most of the time he stayed there. We would take turns getting up and trying to settle him down. Sleep. How often is it we go through life not even looking with eyes sensitive to what others are experiencing or going through? We're going to experience relationships in a whole new way. We're going to experience being physically made new in a whole new way. The Word tells us here that this is trustworthy and true. I tell you this morning that God is faithful and that you can trust Him. And that when you look around at this world and all of the bad things that are happening and you wonder why is there evil in this world, we look in the mirror to see that we are our own worst problem and that we are the world's worst problem because we live in a fallen world deceived by the evil one. And that one day God will not only make the world new, He will not only make us new, He'll make all of our relationships new. He's going to set everything right and when we see it all right, we're going to look and we're going to say, ah, that's the way it was supposed to be. That's what he was intended. That's the vision for ultimately what the Word of God is telling us. He says he is the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first letter and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Before anything ever was, God was. After everything is gone, God will still be. He is the beginning and the end. This book is about him and not about us. It tells us who he is and what he's done and how we can have a relationship with him and how it's all going to be made new and how it's all going to be set right. It tells us here that he's going to give water freely. Now, we don't, we don't think about this very much. Most of us live in places where we have, we don't just have water. We have double and triple filtered water. My water that comes out of my refrigerator anyway is triple filtered. Why? Because if it's just filtered once or something, it's still got this like iron taste to it. And it's got this smell and I, like, I don't like that. So it's like filter it again. Well, just filter it one more time, just for the fun of it, right? Because we can, because we lived in a really spoiled society. So we, like, triple filter our water or buy bottled water so that it tastes better or get these big jugs of water, which they probably just take and fill up out of the river, and I don't know what they do with it. Anyway, we have water. Water in every part of the world is not a commodity where you can find clean water, have it readily available. This would have been important to the audience who was reading at this particular time. He's going to give not just from water, but the water of life without payment. It's by grace through faith that we have been saved. It's not of works. Number four, God tells us here that he will renew the righteous. Oh, but this one's not all positive. Because he tells us he will punish the wicked in verses 7 and 8. God will renew the righteous and punish the wicked. Look at what it says in verses 7 and 8. To the one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, and this is the second death. Now this word, conquer, to the one that conquers. Uh, this word, I wore this shirt on purpose this morning, because this word is the word Nikeo. It's from the word where we get Nike, right? So every time you see a Nike swoosh, you should think conquer. 
That doesn't mean the company Nike stands for anything moral or good or anything of a biblical worldview. But there's no reason we can't use it for our own thinking and our own advantage, right? The word Nike, this swoosh, means that one day we are going to conquer. That even though it gets hard and even though there are times where we're traveling that uphill battle of pursuing, growing more like Christ and we stumble and fall, we get back up and we go again. Even when we're trying to make it up that downward escalator, our own flesh pushing against us having a relationship with God, we keep working, we keep working so that we can go grow closer to God. We keep reading His Word. We keep meditating on His Word. We keep memorizing His Word. We keep gathering together with a body of believers that encourages us to live like we should. We keep moving forward. We keep stumbling. We recognize that one day we will be ultimate conquerors through what God has done. He tells us, and we showed the verse earlier, John 16, 33, in this world you will have tribulation. In this world, there will be moments where you wonder, God, what's next? There will be moments where jobs don't work out like we want to. There will be moments where medical prognosis aren't what we like to hear. There will be moments where life is hard. But we know that through Jesus Christ, we are conquerors. And that one day, He is making and will make all things new. There's a resurrection coming. There's life everlasting for those who have repented of their sins and pledged their allegiance to King Jesus, and it will be sweet. It's filled with a new heaven and a new earth, a right relationship with our Savior. The followers of Christ will be as God's own sons. From rebellion and a garden, from rebellion in each of our hearts, as we sinned against our Creator to a reconciliation, a repentance, a sonship, no longer orphans, no longer slaves, but now sons, which we don't deserve. But this text clearly tells us, too, that this is not for everyone. So I have a twofold application for you. First, for believers, for those who are followers of Christ, we focus on the resurrection and life everlasting. It's going to have the following effects, just to mention a few on our lives. Focusing on eternity will help us to avoid idolizing the possessions or pleasures of this world. It's going to help us avoid idolatry in this world. It will help us store up our treasures in heaven rather than on earth. It will help us handle suffering in this world. It will help us understand that evil will ultimately be set right. It will help us see that the problems of this world through a proper perspective, are only temporary. It will help us to have a greater desire to share the gospel with others so that they can enjoy Christ forever. So we focus on the everlasting and the resurrection. Second, if you are here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Christ, if you know that you genuinely have not recognized your sinfulness, been drawn to repentance towards God, if you have not pledged your allegiance to Him or put your faith and trust in Him, then you have to listen to what the words say here. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually impure, the sorcerers, idolaters, all liars. So you say, well, I'm none of those first few things. But we recognize that in the depravity of our own hearts inherited from Adam, we are all liars. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all deceived others and even at times deceived ourselves. And we are all falling short in need of the grace of the gospel. And it says here that those who are in this category, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I say to you as one bringing good news, you don't have to experience that second death. 
by grace, through faith, in Christ. You can experience the new city. You can experience all the renewal. You do not have to experience the second death. You can be reunited to your Creator. So if you are here and do not have a relationship with Christ, I urge you to make today the day that you talk to a pastor after the service that you follow Christ. And hopefully for all of us today, we have caught a glimpse of what it means and what the Bible is saying to us when we hear the words, He is making all things new. What a great and glorious day it will be. Dear Lord, we get so caught up in the things of this world that we often don't look or don't focus on the finish line. We're easily distracted. Lord, the pain of this world genuinely hurts us. It genuinely distracts our mind. It genuinely causes us to wander away from you. And so, Lord, today I pray for the believers that you will help us to focus on eternity, that you will help us to run our race well, focused on the finish line. That you'll help us when we see all of the devastation of this life that we'll focus on how things will be made new in the next. Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Father, anyone who doesn't have a relationship with you, I pray that today would be the day that they recognize there is good news. And Lord, there are consequences for those who continue to reject their creator. And Lord, may today be the day of salvation for any who need to repent and follow you. For God, you are a good God. We thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.